Hello and welcome to the Research Ops podcast, an initiative of the Research Ops community. I'm your host for today, Bridget Metzler, and one of the co-chairs of this huge global volunteer-run community. As always, I'm assuming if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about Research Ops, the mechanisms and processes that set user research in motion. If you'd like to know more about Research Ops, you can find us at our website, researchops.community, or on our medium publications in English, French, and Portuguese. Follow us at Team Reops on Twitter, find the group on LinkedIn, and join in the conversation at hashtag researchops. For today's talk, we join myself and Lucy Sutton, a civil servant and research ops specialist at the Department for Education in the UK. Apart from living with her boyfriend, her cat, dog, and a hundred or more houseplants, Lucy also has disabilities, degenerative disc disease, fibromyalgia, endometriosis, dyslexia, and dyspraxia. Together, we discuss how research ops can help researchers with disabilities, and we also talk about being a research operations specialist with a disability. I'll confess I've been sitting on this episode for a while for a very personal reason. When we recorded back in April, I was starting to process having been diagnosed with ADHD, which I've been public about, but also following further assessment, Asperger's and anxiety. I mentioned in this podcast being disabled. Like all things that are labels related to our our identity, it's a personal journey, not without its ups and downs. The label of disabled sits uncomfortably with me. You see, I feel as though these aspects of me are are the very parts of me that make me particularly able to do the work that I do at the detail and the pace that I do it. I'd honestly never exchange my brain for a normal one, whatever that is. But there's no question that there is a cost and it does impact my life and that of the people around me in many ways. Luckily, we have Lucy here today to talk about exactly these things. Yes, Research Ops is about scaling the impact of the craft, but how do we best support researchers with disabilities? What does it look like to be disabled and be an operations specialist? There is never a single answer, but my interview today with Lucy does shine a light into some of the ways our bodies and brains shape the work of research and of Research Ops. I hope you find the conversation as challenging and insightful as I did, and that it might serve to spark thoughts and conversations in your own working lives. Today, we have a really special special episode. We We wanted to get together, Lucy and I, to talk about disability in research and disability in operations. So how um, how do we, firstly, how do we increase um, the the, our capacity to to enable uh, researchers who have disabilities to work in the field of research? And how do we, as operations people, you know, assist with that? How do we, how, how can we work better? And then also, what about research operations people who have disabilities? How does that work? And, and um, are there special things that we can look at or um, any, any things like that? What can we learn 
about disability and research operations. So thank you so much, Lucy. This is a real honor and a pleasure to have you with us. No, thank you. It's lovely to be here. I love talking about these kind of things. It's really important. Yeah, I think it really, it really is important. And, you know, you're so um, busy in the community as well, in especially in our government community of practice, and, um, and you just contribute so much. And, and I really appreciate it. it's an extra piece of emotional labour to come and, and um, help us understand all of this stuff a bit better. So firstly, can I ask you some, uh, some questions like, um, what is dyspraxia? Yeah, um, so <laughs> dyspraxia, so it goes through a different name of developmental coordination disorder. And what a lot of people think that dyspraxia is, is clumsiness, um, which is true to an extent. I can't like drive a car, I walk into things all the time. I drop things 24 um, seven, but it also affects things like my organization. Um, so uh -huh. things like, you know, booking train tickets, I'm awful for calendar invites. You'll get something for like the wrong day or like the wrong year. <laughs> it's happened before. Um, no. <laughs> so yeah, lots and lots of different things mm -hmm. um, that all sort of come together. Um, and I have dyslexia as well. And sometimes it's, it's hard to tell them apart. Yes. Um, but they very much complement each other, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so tell me, um, I always love to, to sort of start the podcast with a, a big, broad question. Um, because, and I'd really love to, to hear, what, you know, where you're coming from today, um, especially as a person with a disability. I myself has, have a disability and, and that does mean that every day, um, you know, ev everyone every day is a different person. But um, I think when you, when you come to the table with, with a disability as well, um, that can can change um, from, from day to day. So if I asked you uh, this broad question of, you know, who are you in, in this moment and, and who or what contributed to your self, sense of self today? How do you think you might answer that question, Lucy? Um, I think I'm quietly optimistic. Um, Lots of things are happening at the moment. So the UK is slowly, but hopefully surely coming out of lockdown. Um, and we've got so much going on at work as well, but it's lots of exciting stuff. So we're releasing lots of things and things are getting done. You know, we, well, we're at that point where we started loads of things and we're coming out the other side of things. Um, yeah. And it feels I like think, spring. It does, it does. The sun's out here in Manchester, which is lovely. Mm. Um, you know, you can just pop into the garden whenever you want. Um, so no, it's lovely. Um, I can also hear my cat screaming outside. <laughs> he didn't come home last night. Um, oh. Enjoying the, the spring sunshine. But he's not this morning. <laughs> Lots of lots of uh, lots of uh, things are growing in the garden and lots to explore. Yes, and growing in the house, of course, with the hundred house plants. Yes, it's uh, growing season in here as well, so that's lovely. I, I I love watching them grow. Do you grow edible foods or or just things that are nice to look at? No, I, I tried last year. I tried during lockdown, but then we got a puppy, and right. she decided her the vegetable <laughs> patch was her personal play pet. Right. So that didn't go very well. So then now they're all on shelves in the house. Okay. <laughs> and pretty to look at. <laughs> I remember once I moved moved house and um, 
I had at that time I had so many houseplants that uh, you know when the truck came around to deliver the houseplants um, we brought them all inside and then someone knocked on my door and and I opened the door and there was a lady there with a purse and and she said oh I I just noticed that there were lots of plants just delivered and I just wondered if this is a new nursery that's opening up. <laughs> I'm getting visuals wow. that are <laughs> I'm getting visuals that are pretty similar. Is that is that more or less the vibe? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So tell me, um, how did you come to be in the research ops community? Um, so I joined the Department for Education about two years ago. Um, and I ended up in kind of like a service operations role. So we had like quite a big program, lots of different services teams. Mm. And my role was just to go between them all, make sure that they were delivering. Um, I think I, the first thing I was assigned to was something called a data protection impact assessment, um, oh. which ended up being my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the first thing that kind of, connected me to the user researchers mm. in my team and as I I delved a little bit further I realized there were so many things that we needed that we just didn't have mm-hmm. so things like you know a consent form template or the mm-hmm. data protection impact assessment um, we didn't have really like a process on incentives that was easy to follow right. um, and I was so frustrated but we didn't have them at a departmental level someone was working on them but there's so much to do mm-hmm. but obviously when I was just on my own I was thinking come on where is it where is it mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in October last year um I I joined the departmental team and suddenly I am the person on the other side saying well there's so many things to do <laughs> we've got to prioritize and everything uh, <laughs> so I feel like I've gone full circle yeah Um, but now I'm creating all those things that I needed about a year ago so uh so Lucy we talked about uh what dyspraxia is because that was the one I picked because it was the one I didn't know um but just for everyone else are you okay do you mind talking me through what what the other um disabilities are and how they impact you yeah sure let's do a whistle stop tour so I've got something called a degenerative ditz disease so that's where um the ditz in my spine have like a lot of wear and tear um so you normally get that kind of wear and tear probably from about 40 onwards but you might not realize it's there it may not impact you for some reason with me that's happened since I was about 14 years old and it, it impacted me a lot um right. so I'm in pain with it 24 hours a day mm. um and that sort of led to something called fibromyalgia as well. Right. Um, so fibromyalgia is a widespread pain. Um, also chronic pain. They don't really know what causes it. Um, yeah. And for me, the pain is kind of, it's all over my back. So mm. I can't stand for very long um, without it seizing up. It's all in my neck. And then also just like weird things happen as well. So like, Last weekend, my hand just completely, like, wouldn't work. I couldn't hold things. I kept getting this, like, really bad shooting pain. Very strange. Right. Only lasted a couple of days. Um, okay. So lots of things like that. Um, mm. Then I've got a condition called endometriosis as well that I was diagnosed with about two years ago after, like, 
excruciating periods um, and just loads of bloating that was really painful as well and just ongoing pain all the time. Mm. Um, so that's where the, the tissue um, in my, my endometrium, mm-hmm. um, it grows outside of the womb. Mm. So it grows where it shouldn't basically and it causes mm-hmm. quite a lot of pain. Um, so I had surgery for that a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I've been a bit better. Um, it doesn't flare up all the time. It's not chronic for me, mm-hmm. um, but it can just flare up and cause an awful lot of pain. And the thing is as well is that on top of the other conditions, mm-hmm. it makes it that much worse because it knocks off like my center of balance and things. Yeah. Um, so between the three of them physically, <laughs> life is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this time last year, actually, um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and dyspraxia, um, which was a bit of a shock. Um, I went for a diagnosis of dyspraxia because that that really sung to me on the difficulties that I had. Um, but I came up with a diagnosis of dyslexia as well. Um, looking back on my life, that does make a lot of sense. But I, I just sort of thought that dyslexia was, you know, oh, you can't read, you can't spell. Um, and I never had any problems with that. Um, you know, I, I did a degree in politics, so I did loads and loads of writing. Um, but actually, it's more that when I learned to read I I didn't learn how to break down words properly so instead I just memorized them all (laughs) yes Um, so now sometimes when I read things I my brain just tries to take a quick shortcut right Mm -hmm. and it just Mm -hmm. tells me the wrong word that I didn't know it was there for the vast majority of my life so it's really hard to try and train me out of it. Um, so things like if it's a problem, I'll read probably. There's a COVID addition to it as well, where I read <laughs> vacancies as vaccines and vice versa. <laughs> so yep. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've uh, had the privilege of working with quite a number of people with with dyslexia in both an operations team environment and also dyslexic researchers as well so really appreciate what you what you're saying there and um certainly it's really hard to hard to to go and proofread um a document or something like that isn't it um yeah yeah Yeah. so how does how do you think that impacts on you as a researcher there's so many different layers in there what would you like to unpack first yeah well so I I'm not a researcher I'm just operations Mm. itself okay Um, but yeah obviously work with a lot of researchers yeah Um, so I I think it's it's a number of ways really so I think, and dyspraxia as well, with it affecting my organisation. I think it seems ironic that I've ended up (laughs) in research operations. Um, So there's loads of things that I have to read all the time. Um, Loads of legislation, things like GDPR here in the UK, um, but also things like ethics as well. Um, And that's really complicated stuff that's not always written in the most user-friendly language. Yeah. and, you know, you look at, like, recruitment panels and things like that, and you can have mm-hmm. thousands upon thousands of entries, 
and my mind just sort of like shuts down when I see these things at first mm-hmm. but I, I think on the other side of that is when I'm sat there reading the GDPR documents that one's wrote and I'm thinking oh that doesn't make any sense at all you should mm-hmm. be saying this you should be mm-hmm. saying that and I think because my mind has constantly been trying to translate things for me mm-hmm. it means that I can translate them really easily for users yeah so I've been doing a lot of work on consent forms at the moment um I'm really trying to make sure that you know all this information we do about data handling and things but users on the other side who are signing these forms understand what they're signing they have informed consent yeah um and that's been really interesting to think like hang on can I read that properly can I read that easily Mm. do I stop and think hang on I'm not taking any of that in Mm -hmm. um so I think that's where it becomes quite useful almost Mm. Um, if I can read it, anyone can read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as as a, a person with ADHD, I'm usually like, mm-hmm. um, um, if if I can read it and it and I can absorb it <laughs> in yes. one go, then that's yeah, then that usually <laughs> means it's not too bad. <laughs> um, do you ever look at things like um, uh, verbal consent forms or oral consent forms? Is that a thing in the UK government? Have you ever done that? Well, yeah, so I mean, it, it's an option um, and we can do it, but luckily I'm not, I'm not speaking to users. Um, okay, yeah. So yeah, it's more going through the recordings, but I'm, yeah, I'm the same going through the recordings and especially there's other things happening in the background. Mm-hmm. I find that really difficult to concentrate. Yeah. And I think that's been made so much harder in lockdown, actually. I was talking about it last week, but... Like, I can't tell my partner a story if the TV's on in the background. Yes. And I think I got so used to the luxury of silence from working from home mm-hmm. that, you know, in the office, it'd get too much. But for the most part, I could manage it. Mm-hmm. But I think the first couple of weeks going back into the office, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you're going to have to lock myself in a room somewhere. <laughs> mm. Yeah, interesting. Mm. And so if you, as an operations person, if you're, um, if you're working with a researcher who has, um, uh, let's, let's look at, um, you know, your back issues and that sort of thing. Um, mm. If you had someone who was a researcher who had those kinds of um, mobility um, issues, for example, I was, I'm making an assumption that that creates a mobility issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, does that, um, what are some of the sorts of, um, you know, mechanisms and strategies that, that we could put in place as operations people to, um, you know, help a researcher who has those mm-hmm. kinds of disabilities? Any ideas? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's really nice about disability is that what you do to help someone who's disabled often helps people who are perfectly atypical. Totally. So, Things like, you know, if we're in the office and we're talking about traveling to research, that can cause a lot of pain for me. Um, There's lots of waiting around for trains or being like cramped up um, in the little chairs. Um, And then, you know, (laughs) I'm dyspraxic as well. It always get lots going anywhere. Yeah. Um, So I wander around for ages. That causes a lot of pain. But what I always make sure that I do the day after and now my team makes sure they do the day after is I have a really easy day. 
um yeah I, I don't do more travel okay. I don't have loads of like massive workshops it's more of like here's a bit of an easier day mm-hmm. go and look through your notes get started a bit on your analysis but overall take it easy mm. and that's what we should be doing anyway really isn't it <laughs> you know, we we've had a really hard day emotionally of research anyway let alone physical and you need a bit of time to decompress and I think you'll get a lot better research quality out of it mm. um, yeah for me that's so important to just kind of regenerate and rest up and not overdo it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how about um just thinking about um so we've talked about travel um, and in the office, um, mm. you know, being a hidden kind of a disability. Um, are, there, are there things that we can do for our colleagues um, who might have those kinds of disabilities, um, even if we're not aware of it? Like, how should we, um, as you say, you know, design for, design for the edges and you, you basically end up designing something better for everyone. How can, mm-hmm. we, how can we be better in the office when we're moving back to the office from COVID and what, what do you think would work well? Yeah, so I think it's just about options and openness. And I think, so the example I always use is we have standups in the office when we go back, right? And we all meant to stand up around this table or this wall and talk about what's coming up for the day. I can't stand up for a stand-up. I have to sit down. Yeah. And I think for me, it was kind of awkward, but I could do it because I'm quite confident. I do advocate for myself. So I could just say to the group of contractors I've never met before, hey, this is what problem I've got, which they not even need to say. Mm. I need to sit down for it. And, you know, it was totally fine, but I can really understand how not everybody would want to come out and say that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is difficult. It is awkward. And you don't want to feel there's always the fear that someone might turn around and kind of be like, especially for me, you know, I'm young, I don't look disabled. Mm-hmm. Someone may turn around and go, Oh, no, you're fine, don't be so dramatic or something. <laughs> no one ever has. <laughs> oh, not in work anyway. <laughs> yeah. But in everyday life, they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do carry that bit. But you know, I, I think it just sort of things like oh you know if you do need to sit down Mm. feel free this is Mm. why we stand up so it's quicker and we don't get too comfortable that's Mm. not for everybody conferences as well always happens as oh we're going to have like a a standing like speed dating thing and let's move around the room oh it's awful (laughs) I don't know what to do (laughs) I mean it's awkward anyway right yeah (laughs) Um, yeah but yeah I think it's just sort of things like try and think of an option and also you know do you have to do it standing up do you have to do this mobility I I get that it adds a little bit of energy but is there any other way you can do it you need to just move tables right and sit down there mm-hmm. rather than oh because normally it's just me sat down and I see a people stood up mm. and it mm-hmm. it's it's an option but yeah. it's not a great option and it yeah. does single me out um mm. so yeah just do we need to do it that way is there a way that we could still get the same effect but we could just be a bit more inclusive yeah okay yeah so it's essentially life is where we're sort of hardwired to be a little bit ableist to be quite honest yeah 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 okay so um should we talk about neurodivergence in re-ups um 
Yeah, I think it's both a it, it's a superpower and and a disability at the same time, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to um, talk me through um, what in what ways it's challenging for you um, the dyslexia and um, that sort of thing? Yeah. So I mean, the thing with disability as well is that it, it ebbs and flows. Some days it doesn't really affect me that much at all. But other days, if you know, I'm really tired, especially all my pain is flaring up, then they're the days where I'm just like, wow, <laughs> everything I write is just completely wrong. Everything I read, I can't take it. I'm interpreting everything wrong. I'm sending out calendar days for years in the future, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard. I think it is hard for other people because I look different every day. Um, but I think when it is tough it is like I sit down to write policies I write policies all the time at the moment and sometimes what's a policy a policy sorry oh I see (laughs) yeah um so I'm writing like our GDPR policy at the moment okay (laughs) yeah um and yeah I try and do it in like a user-friendly way I've got to think how can I translate all this jargon into something that's easy to use and also Mm -hmm. how can I make it so that people read it and follow it Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I just sit there and I think I don't know what I'm trying to say I don't know what I'm trying to put on this paper and you know everyone has those sort of problems but Mm. sometimes I sit there for hours and I don't know what I've said and Mm. I read it back and it's all the wrong tenses and things and Mm. I think sometimes that's what scares me about putting my work out there Mm-hmm. I I try to be as collaborative as possible and I try to be really user-centered in my design as well so mm-hmm. I try to get lots of feedback I try to understand the situation around it but when I've got like um 15 page document that I start off with I'm not proofreading it mm-hmm. you know, it's there for the content it's not there for the spelling and the tenses and things yeah yeah and I will say in my emails oh by the way don't worry about proofreading it we'll do that later yeah occasionally people still do yes and they do it with really good intentions but for me I find it really difficult because I'm thinking I do know that's not how you spell it I do know that that's the wrong word I just wrote it for some reason and I I hope that other person doesn't think like oh this is so stupid they don't Mm. but when you see all these comments and it's like people capitalizing or switching letters around or saying did you mean that oh yeah I did um Mm. that's hard that is difficult yeah so I always think you know unless someone's asked you to proofread Mm -hmm. don't proofread it if Mm -hmm. I missed out a word if I said you must do this rather than you must not yes please add it in (laughs) yes that's important yeah but it's not important that I put you know type instead of type to yes um yeah and we can look at that later it's a draft yeah so, yeah yeah I'm, I'm just reflecting um uh I've, I've worked with a researcher once who was dyslexic and um she's the best researcher like hands down that I've ever met um but really struggled to to get words onto paper and so mm-hmm. um you know things like the technologies of um you know, recording yourself talking, um, mm. that worked so well for her. Um, or because um, I'm quite 
good at typing um, and, and I'm quite fast. Um, and so I would interview her um, and that, that would be one way that we would get the document out um, onto paper. And then we could worry about the, <laughs> the, um, the, the typos and that sort of stuff later. Yeah. So there were some little tricks that we had. Did you, do you have any tricks that you want to share? Um, so <laughs> I, I go through text-to-speech. Um, I have a speech impediment as well. So okay. speech software yeah. really does not like me. Ah, um, yeah. But I do have, um, so I, I always do, well, I do this text-to-speech to proofread. So I always have my oh. software read back my documents to me. Yes. And that's really helpful because you just hear it. And with dyslexia mm. as well, even if I have wrote something wrong, I'm convinced I've, I've written it correctly. Yes, because you just so I can reread seeing, it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So having it read out loud to me is really helpful. Don't get me wrong, Microsoft Sam is not the best mm. <laughs> at picking up at some words, but for the most part, it works pretty well. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you're using words again and again and they're really hurting you to hear out loud, they didn't in my degree, lots of different names that you couldn't pronounce, you can put the mm-hmm. pronunciation in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my top tip for sure. But yeah, I type everything, I type my exams in college and university. And I was so much quicker at typing than I was at writing. So actually yeah. it worked so much better for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you use things like I was just thinking about um so uh, ADHD has a poor working memory issue. So um, mm. I'm just all about the sticky notes and the and the notes. How about oh. you? Yeah, yeah. So my my working memory is really poor. I think it's like eighteen percent in the percentile. <laughs> um, wow. So I have loads of organisation techniques. I have a wall of sticky notes behind me. Yeah. Um, the people joke don't always move that much. It's true. <laughs> um, I have a notebook. I have mm-hmm. a separate notebook that I write what I'm doing that week. I have yep. a Trello board for my team. I also have something I call a parking lot, which is mm-hmm. like a, a sticky note online of just my constant thoughts and please get them out of your mind, Lucy. Oh, I like that idea. That's a nice mm-hmm. one. Mm. Um, yeah, like that, that's the thing as well. So I, I tick loads of the things for adult ADHD, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. didn't have them as a child. Yeah. So we think it's probably because of the dyslexia and the di- dyspraxia, mm-hmm. but also probably because I ha- have chronic fatigue as well. Right. So yeah. I don't remember a lot of things. I'm constantly similar symptoms. Like, mm. Exactly. Exactly. So it's really interesting talking to people with ADHD. So yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have my own Slack channel. I just never ever go back into it to actually read any of the things that I. <laughs> Really yeah, wanted yeah. to read. It's all right. They're they're written down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, my my organisation techniques are interesting. Um, I think that's thing. Like, so I'm I'm a qualified delivery manager as well. Um, qualified last year. Woo. Um, Yay! <laughs> but I think my life is so chaotic in general. Mm-hmm. Like everything goes wrong because I just can't organise it. I you know everything's done in the wrong order there's no mm. rhyme or reason to it mm-hmm. but I think having organization at work it's just so much easier because mm-hmm. when things go wrong they do all the time I'm not really faced mm-hmm. so 
actually, although it seems like, why have you got someone who is totally disorganized as a delivery manager? Well, I, I've just got so many different ways of coping. Mm. They didn't really go wrong that often. You yeah. know, I've not got like one thing and it's that system falls apart. I'm done for. No, it's mm-hmm. fine. Just mm-hmm. on to the next thing. Um, mm. And I think that's what it's like for all of it, really. Yeah. Is that, and especially having these problems and not realizing some of them until last year. Mm. Now I'm going back retrospectively and thinking, oh, that's a coping mechanism, isn't it? that's why I do that and that's really interesting and that's that's making it so much easier to understand myself and how I yeah. work yeah um, and those yeah, are the things that become those are the things that become your your superpowers right the things exactly, that, exactly. yeah everyone else goes I can't understand how you do that and it's like well <laughs> I've yeah, been doing okay. it all my life <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing like you know obviously my written communication wasn't always the best I knew what I was saying but I Mm. didn't always get it down on paper that well Mm -hmm. but I'm much better at communicating with people and I connect with people really easily yeah I think that's because I couldn't communicate written so I had to put all my energy into verbal and actually that's really paid off because so much of my work at the moment is collaborating with people getting people to help out and things the same with yours as well Mm. and Mm. actually although that comes really naturally to us it doesn't come naturally for other people it's such a gift yeah yep yep for sure yes I always (laughs) I always think so people with ADHD have a um, higher tolerance for risk than most people um Mm -hmm. they're something like 300 percent more likely to start a a business or something like that or you know yeah to a startup and uh and you know people always say how do you how do you do um you know speak in public and that sort of thing I think well you know I I, (laughs) doesn't mean I don't feel the risk but I just have a higher tolerance for it because I'm really after that buzz (laughs) yeah 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 um so yes it's not it's not all all bad things it's about sort of finding your place and your spot isn't it yeah so um have you got any other things that people can do to to help if they're operations people or if um you know if they're just your colleagues any other any other suggestions yeah I've got a couple of top tips Um, and so it's neurodivergence awareness month here in the UK so it's something I'm talking about fabulous work yeah (laughs) it worked out well in timing and so I think just things like you know people send me a lot of spreadsheets um and I hate spreadsheets they make me really anxious because it's a thing I got so wrong that forced me to go and get a diagnosis so I always right. feel insecure. <clears throat> yeah, I think if people don't just send it me in an email and say, oh, let me know if you need help. I'm going to need help. Trust me. But yeah. they just say, hey, you've got 10 minutes and we can just screen share. I'll take you through it. It may be really simple. I may get it straight away. Mm-hmm. But it's just giving me that option and not making me feel like, oh, I should get that. Yeah. Because that's the thing. I, I struggle to know what is hard for me and hard for everybody yeah but the point sorry um you you go sometimes just giving me that option Mm. of finding out you know it's easy for me but Mm. I've got the support at hand it takes away all that awkwardness of me having to come and ask Mm. Mm -hmm. I was going to say it um 
maybe also helps in that it can help sort of uncover the hidden assumptions that people just have built into their spreadsheets. Like, of course, you're going to understand what employed means um, when really it's a very nebulous term, term, isn't it? So, you know, whatever it is that's on the spreadsheet. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, mm. I can make your spreadsheet really user-friendly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's lots of tips and tricks. So, yeah, I, I think... If you run, because neurodivergent is very much we just see things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that different way isn't a bad way to see things at all. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's really like thinking out of the box and it can be really creative. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, throw your Excel sheet at me, throw your document at me, and mm-hmm. I can make some suggestions. And actually, you may think, oh, that's a really good one. I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. What I do, don't worry about it. <laughs> Any other any other tips or tricks? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had an interview. Um, so I think what was super helpful, I said to them, it was on Teams. Um, so can you, when you ask me your questions, can you just copy and paste them into the chat box? Um, and it was the first time I'd done it. It was life changing. It was so much better. And um, I really struggle with structure. And I struggle with structure in my writing. I can't work out what people need to know first before I tell them the next part. It's really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's difficult for anyone to structure anything in interviews. You're so, like, anxious and nervous. Mm. um, And you forget that question halfway through, right? Like, I'm sure there was another part. Rather (laughs) than saying, oh, sorry, can you repeat it halfway through? You can Mm. just look. And you can take a little bit of time and think about your answer. Yeah, it was so much better. And I just think, why don't we just do that for everybody, right? Like, yes, yeah. That makes no difference whatsoever. Or, yeah. you know, hopefully when we get back face to face, just have some slips of paper with it on, mm. printed out nice and big, mm-hmm. um, just so people got a reference point. And mm. that was great. Um, and I'd give that tip to everybody. Every interview panel should do that, I reckon. Fantastic. I like it. I'll definitely mm-hmm. take that one on board. Um, um, so I'm- and Did I think have... I got a final tip, yeah, for, yeah. Um, for physical disability, so back in yeah. the workplace. Yeah. So one of the big problems I had is that we'd have, like, all staff meetings occasionally. Mm-hmm. So when our Secretary of State would come and visit and things, um, and they didn't reserve any seating. Oh. So unless I could get there 10 minutes earlier, which I couldn't always, could have a meeting beforehand, hmm. I just couldn't go. Right. And... Not only would I miss it, but I'd have people sort of come up to me in the office and be like, oh, are you not coming? Mm. And there's that awkwardness of, oh, I can't. And now I have to suddenly explain to you why. Mm. So really awkward. Mm. Um, so I, I wrote to people who did the building and I said, look, you just reserve some seats, preferably like the, the vertical rows and so not like the front row or the back row. Mm. but so people can easily get in and out or down the side and it's not just for people who are disabled you know you may have people who are pregnant yeah or you may have people who are sprained their ankle on the way into work that morning you could really appreciate a seat and you know if if those seats aren't taken within the first 10 minutes of that meeting anybody else can take them they're up for grabs but it just knowing that I'm walking into a meeting and I've got a seat and I don't have that anxiety about having to get there I don't and you know people say oh well do you want me to ask somebody for a seat but 
but I always think how do you know that person is not someone like me who has an invisible disability as well yeah and maybe doesn't want to say precisely exactly and then you force them out so you take away all that if you just reserve a little bit of seating yeah that makes so much sense I love your brain. <laughs> it's it's so it's it even though you tell me that it's disorganized, it all makes sense to me. <laughs> maybe that says more about us. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, it's been it's been such a pleasure talking to you and um, just really hearing um, what it is that we can do. Uh, to think more about uh, disability when it comes to research and when it comes to research operations. So I really appreciate your time, your energy in doing that. And and also um, just thank you so much for the contribution that you make to the community as well. Just in in yourself as a person, it's... um, uh, it's you've got such a lot of energy and and commitment to you know the craft of of user research and and of course to our discipline of research operations and so um, I find you really inspiring so thank you so much for joining us um, I, I hope to me. see you again in the slack really soon yes definitely <laughs> thank you and that's the end of today's podcast We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to hear more, please subscribe or join us in the Research Ops community. If there's someone you'd like us to talk to, please drop us a line at teamreops at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us next time at the Research Ops podcast. We'll see you soon in the Slack.